The Strange Bride, Gad the Zig, Book 3, by Anthony Spaeth, read by Derek Murray. Chapter 1. Twins in a Basket In the Hebrides, in the olden days, the potter, Manc, was known, for cups he made to order, and bowls especially thrown. He'd set up shop beneath Ben Moore, between the hills and bay, in a black house with his servant, Gad, the zig he'd made from clay. One morning, Mank heard knocking and answered the door with a groan, wearing only his nightclothes, which were haphazardly sewn. By the time he'd raised the latch, however, the one who'd rapped had gone, having left behind a bundle between pathstones on the lawn. It proved to be a wicker basket, covered in a tartan cloth. When first Mank tried to lift it, one hand was not enough. So he turned the blanket back, and found there, side by side, two tawny twins, a girl and boy, who down their lengths were tied. Mank scanned the boggy distance. The wind was all that stirred. Hey, hello, someone there, he called, but got back not a word. So he took the crib two-handed, hauling it in to warm, eyeing the winds inside it, and the flesh combining their form. Now, said Mank, scratching his chin, I trained as a barber a bit. I still have my clamps and leeches and that whole teeth pulling kit. He sent Gad for a fettling knife, notching between the twins, swinging the blade quite deftly, then carefully stitching their skins. Mank worked with such precision that it took most of the day. The twins bore it all in silence, not a peep, nor squabble, nor bray. The surgery left its mark, however. A scar on each was found. The boy down his left the girl her right, where once they had been bound. Mank knew little of Scottish wains, but thought such quiet ones rare. So he made up his mind to raise them, and said for himself a prayer. He put the twins to bed that night in the basket they'd arrived in, and watched as they cuddled together, as if the skin still tied them. At dawn, when the sun peeked in, Manx saw, to his surprise, where he'd left two balding whelps, the twins had doubled in size. They crawled on the following morning, and soon after started to play, took their first steps on the third afternoon, and spoke the very next day. Now, most men would have worried, and many might have feared, but Manx, he was the curious sort. He only watched and scratched his beard. Chapter 2 The Laird's Invitation Two months after the twins arrived, while Mank worked at his wheel, a visitor knocked, and in he walked, calling himself McNeil. The Laird was a ruddy Highlander, and he spoke with a lyrical lilt. His tartan had bold stripes across, and his buckles were all gilt. 
Are you Mank? the laird inquired. The potter of Benmore? I've come all the way from Dunnangall just to find your store. I need fifty special flagons carved with a fierce hag's head and fifty matching bowls right quick. My daughter is to wed. Now Mank could make such ugly dishes. Of that he was quite sure. Some clay, a few spins, a harpy, some glaze, a night in the kiln to cure. But the design had piqued his interest, and so he had to ask, A hag on wedding cups, Laird? Why not a pretty flask? MacNeil went to his pocket, plucking a signet from his vest. My clan is known by this, he said. The hag's head is our crest. So Mank lumped clay on his wheel and gave it a few kicks. As the mound whirled round and round, he pressed and gouged the mix. MacNeil looked on with interest as the witch's head emerged, but his eyes would sometimes wander to where the twins converged. When at last the cup was done, its face looked like a curse. Mank showed it to MacNeil, who took six pence from his purse. Finish the batch, he ordered. Then hurry to my brock. We've four days till the wedding, and it's a fairly strenuous walk. But, 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 Mank sputtered, waving a finger's tip. I canna leave my wains, Laird, and take such a lengthy trip. MacNeil turned to the twins, with their slow eyes and black hair. Stay as my guest, then, Potter, he said, and bring along your pair. Chapter 3 A Mullish Wedding MacNeil's brock stood on a cliff. They called it Dun and Gaul. Its walls were wide as a man could reach, the tower nine ells tall. When Mank arrived with his twins and his zig and his barrow filled with plates, MacNeil met him at the fence, paid him twelve more pence, and threw open his gates. It was a mullish wedding, and so something to behold. There were seven brothers, and six sisters, and twelve aunts, and eight uncles, and thirty-two cousins, and a parcel of screaming red-headed children, all cast from the same mould. And then, of course, were the in-laws, Maclay's aloof and dour. They frowned and turned their noses up, as if the air were sour. Worst of all was Laird Maclay, the father of the groom. He strutted like an angry duck, and his tam bore a bright plume. The quick is empty, Maclay complained, and the dowry's hardly fair. And why is the bride's face hidden? And why are the tables bare? Gad pushed past the griping to the tables on the lawn and carefully placed the potter's bowls on which the witch was drawn. He laid each dish to face the eater, and the same with all the mugs. When the settings were well set, he poured from the hideous jugs. The priest stepped toward the altar, and the pipers proceeded to blow. Grannies grabbed their kerchiefs, and teardrops started to flow. Aunties wept like thunderclouds, till the priest had them all hushed. 
he called for the groom, Young Niall Maclay, who crept up, looking crushed. The lad was thin as baling twine, with a face like a ball of dough. His eyes were closely set, and his gait was rather slow. Calix McNeil, the crier called, third cousin to his grace. And the bride took one step forward, with a veil over her face. But as the priest reached for her hand, and began to say her vows, a sudden gust swept from the east, blowing her scarf up to the bows. Beneath the hood the bride was dusky, with locks black as a crow's. Tears ran down her olive cheeks, and trickled from her nose. Now Mank had picked a quiet spot, off near the livestock pens, but when the bride was so revealed, he eyed the tawny twins. The boy was counting to himself. His fingers formed a ring. He pursed his lips and, one, two, three, puffed through the opening. The strange wind whooshed again from air still as a wall, and some guests did seem suspicious when the tree gave back the shawl. Once the bride had been revealed, the priest called for exchanges. Niall proudly held his ring out now, glad his mum arranged this. But as the groom leaned forward, hoping he'd be kissed, Calix MacNeil sidestepped his lips and raised her olive fist. Laird Maclay sprang to his feet and stormed right down the aisle. What's all this? he thundered, while the ring-boy cracked a smile. Laird MacNeil rushed forward, saying, Brother, let me speak. The girl's a Maclay, and we're all kin. Let it sink in for a week. Then he took his guest by arm, and turned him toward the feast. He called for tankards, two big ones, and so the peace was pieced. Chapter 4 The Missing Bride After supper was swallowed, MacNeil showed Mac to the tower. Best room for the wains, he hiccuped, far from the bridal power. Then just as he was leaving, he paused in the frame of the door. Strange wind today, the laird remarked. Did it blow in from Ben Moore? Then he bid them all good night, the door and jam both banging. But it wasn't lost on Mancor Gad. The question was left hanging. As Mank put the kids to bed, his head spun like his wheel. He thought on the twins and the bride and the breeze and also Laird MacNeil. Gad was just as restless, staring out the tower's window. He watched the revellers below as cries came to a crescendo. Laird Maclay screamed loudest. He surged into the court. His speech was hoarse and slurry. It echoed round the fort. The bride's been stole, he bellowed, carried off by thieves. Are the bloody Vikings got her, or she's blown off with that breeze? Niall 
watched his father fuming. The lad looked rather lost. His eyes turned to his wedding cup, where the angry hag was bossed. Maclay's had heard their laird, and soon rallied to his side. Most had drunk a cup or two, and some were fairly pied. Meanwhile, atop the tower, someone knocked on the heavy door. Mank went to answer, cautiously. He'd heard that knock before. When the porter raised the latch, who stood there but MacNeil? He'd a lantern in one hand, the other held his family seal. Nodding to the signet, the laird said they should look close. I've kept a secret, he confided. Keep this beneath the rose. Every hundred years, they say, my clan has a hag daughter, and Calix is one, or so I think, for she sleeps beneath the water. Then he tucked his stamp away and gestured to the door. Help me find her, all of you, lest these fools get there before. Mank felt himself bewildered, but the twins went racing past. They sprinted down the tower's steps to where Maclay's were massed. Bring the dogs, boomed Laird Maclay, and some torches and my axe. Hurry, lads, while the trail is fresh, or else we'll lose the tracks. MacNeil led his group on tiptoe toward a copse of hazel trees. He pointed toward a curving path, half hidden in the leaves. To the river bar, he whispered. We must find the waterfall. The pool there burbles softly, so listen for its call. Then he ducked into the woods and bolted down the trail. Mank and Gad chased after him, and the twins brought up the tail. Chapter 5 The Lady in the Pool Gad heard a distant murmur. His little ears were keen. He pointed to the babbling falls, then saw the water sheen. The trees thinned near the pool, and the depths below gave light. The twins ran to the muddy bank and saw there glowing bright. A hag, a hag, just like the signet, with eyes darkly at work. Her skin looked hard as fish scales. Her black mane filled the murk. But Laird MacNeil was fearless. His hand dipped in the water. And when he touched the witch's hem, the hag became his daughter. Calyx glowed like candlelight, and her shape began to rise. She fixed her gaze upon the twins and on their coal-black eyes. When her feet first touched the shore, the kids rushed to her chest. My darling loves, she cooed to them, while they clung to her breast. Laird MacNeil wasn't known for patience, and he knew Maclay's were near, but gave the lass a moment, then said, Calix, my dear, you must run and take your wains with this potter to Ben Moore. The Maclay's are hunting for you, and the old man's pride is sore. The laird pointed to the potter, saying, It's time you earned your keep. Make a likeness of the bride and toss it in the deep. Mank got the old laird's meaning, 
and though the silt was sloppy, swept some mud into a mound, and began to coax a copy. He drew the face out slenderly, with a mouth turned down in worry. The eyes seemed soft and sad, but she raised a fist in fury. Mank thought the likeness fairly good, but had no time to cure it, so he dropped it in the depths, where darkness would obscure it. MacNeil joined him by the pool to watch the statue sink, then put his hand on Calix's back and shoved her with a wink. Hurry, love, he urged her. I can hold them off a bit, but Maclays are stubborn in-laws. Stay hidden till they've quit. Once the laird had seen them clear, he groaned in grandest grief. Oh, my darling lass, he wailed. Oh, death, you are a thief. Maclays soon heard his howling and hurried to the pool, where they found old Laird MacNeil, who wept that fate was cruel. By ones and twos they joined him, beside the murky water, staring at the sunken shape so like his eldest daughter. MacNeil grabbed Niall, exclaiming, This pool, it has a curse! The witch in it turns men to mud, then pulls them in head first. The lad seemed sad to hear it, but looked feeble as a leaf. MacNeil took a knee and begged him, Son, spare her mum some grief. Won't you dive and get her, boy, before she slips away? That's the last lump we have of her, that mound of muddy clay. Niall peered down in the pond, at the shadow nearly black. Is it really her? he wondered. And when'll the witch be back? Maclay stamped around like horses as they listened to Niall mumble. Some urged him to jump in, and some began to grumble. The lad leaned toward the water. He stretched one trembling hand. The surface rippled at his touch, but his feet stayed on the sand. MacNeil saw this and toppled, heaving one last anguished cry. His words were meant to carry. Goodbye, my love! Goodbye! But Calix, when she heard, turned round and was surprised to see Niall staring in the pool, while tears streamed from his eyes. Still, she took her brood and flew, with the potter to Benmore, leaving Niall Maclay a widower where he suffered by the shore. But none had truly reckoned on the devotion of the groom. Even the pleas of Laird MacNeil couldn't lift the poor boy's gloom. Day after day Niall returned, always pondering the deep. He built himself a wooden bench, and by himself would weep. As time went on, and he grew old, he still listened by the pool. When it whispered, he would answer, and most thought him a fool. But the witch was never heard from, nor did Niall once dive in. Leaves changed and fell and turned to dust, and so at last with him. And even now, the mullish say, a spirit haunts that spot. They'll point you to the talking falls, 
but warn that you should not. Don't take that trail, my wains, where it winds around the mill. Don't duck beneath the ancient oak, where it leans upon the hill. Don't listen for the talking falls. Don't search for Nile's bench. Don't seek the muddy statue there, or go hunting for the witch. But if you bairns ignore me, and you find that pool today, you'll hear the bride still whispering to the ghost of Niall Maclay. The End Thanks for listening to The Strange Bride by Anthony Spaeth, read by Derek Murray.